I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. And page 1160 in that Bible, you'll be right there. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to honor God in the reading of His Word together this morning, so I want to ask us to stand together as I read this. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together. We come this morning, we bow before you. We confess that you are holy, holy, holy. And we confess that Jesus is our one defense, our righteousness. And we come in thankfulness that you've revealed that to those of us who are born again, that our only hope is Christ. And we thank you that we can meet on the first day of the week, Father, to meet with your church and be reminded of these great truths, the truths that sustain our souls and that never change. We ask, O God, that you would Teach us about yourself this morning and and what you've done and the greatness of it and the weightiness of what you have done for us would fall upon us, Lord, much heavier than the burdens that we walked in here with. Knowing that the greatest burden that we have has been borne by you already, carried away, washed away by the blood of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we gather every Sunday morning, we come with uh, different things upon our minds as we come in here. And, and uh, for some of, it, some of you, it may be politics. I don't know if you've uh, paid any attention to the Supreme Court nominee and Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee that uh, now is being accused of sexual misconduct and, and all the hoopla about that and and I don't pay a lot of attention to the news. Uh, don't have time. Got too many cartoons to watch with the kids, I guess. But, but, uh, but this week I paid a little bit more attention, and and I found myself becoming more angrier and angrier as I've watched the news and, and paid attention to the news. And that's probably how some of you feel. It's kept up with some of that, and some of you may not even know what I'm talking about because you got too many cartoons to watch. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter is, we we live in the midst of a troubled world. And we, uh, we come in here as troubled people at the same time. But there's a difference between us and the world. Is the things that trouble us the most have been taken care of by Jesus. Amen? And when we gather here this morning, we come and, you know, we know that. We know it on Monday when things aren't going so well at work or, or at home. We know that Jesus is taking care of the things that trouble us the most. But yet, some. It just seems like most of the time things are just kind of, it's either hot or cold. It's kind of like the weather. 
You know, right now we got a little break in the weather. It's nice, ain't it? It ain't too hot. It ain't too cold. We know we better enjoy this little window because, you know, folks say all the time, well, it don't feel like we got a spring this year. Just went from winter to, to summer. And then we'll say it just went from summer to winter. And so we enjoy those little seasons, right? Those little falls and those little springs when the temperatures are just right. We can say, man, I just, I just enjoy that in my life every once in a while. Because it seems like the tr- when it re- in relation to troubles in my life and troubles in the world, but especially in my own personal life, it seems like it's either hot or it's, or it's cold. You know, it's either, it's either miserable this way or miserable that way. I just like a little season in my life where just there's a little peace. Just, just like a little break from now and then, from all the turmoil and turbulent weather and season in my life. We love those little seasons when it's the fall and spring in our life, don't we? You know, it might be good to go visit Ray Stewart sometime. He's not here this morning over at the nursing home, but every time I go see Ray, if you see Ray at the nursing home, ask him how he's doing, he's going to say, I'm doing great. I tell you what, I wished everybody had it just as good as I did. That's what Ray says every time he goes see him. I tell you what, I just don't understand why people complain. I'm just doing great. People ought to just be doing good the way I'm doing. And I'm thinking, Ray, doggone your hide, you make me feel just as guilty as I can be. I'm thinking to myself, Ray, it's all, he's always just got right the, just the right temperature. The, the temperatures always seem to be mild for him. Maybe some people are more like that personality-wise, or maybe in the circumstances of their life may dictate that. They feel that way at times. But that's probably not the way it is for most of us. And, you know, that's why we need the church. Ray is the church. He's part of the church. We need to see one another and be encouraged by the rays in our life. Because not all of us are going through turbulent weather at times. And sometimes maybe we are, and we just need to cry on one another's shoulder and pray together. We come in this place this morning a little different, well, vastly different than the world, though. Knowing that we've got trouble, but we've not got the worst trouble that we could have. Amen? We need the church. What is the church? The church is comprised of all people who are true believers. The church is God's holy dwelling place. So we don't even have to come into this building to be with the church. Now, we can go visit Ray at the nursing home and, and, and be gathering with the church, so to speak. But praise God that we have an opportunity once a week to gather with the church to be reminded that what troubles us the most is not going to trouble us forever. And what should trouble us the most has been taken care of by Jesus. We need the church. What's the key to the church? You see, God has planned throughout all eternity past that He was going to build Himself a house. He was going to build himself a church. That's the metaphor that's used in Ephesians 1. He also refers to his church as the body. But he uses the metaphor of a house. And he's going to build this house, and it's going to be a house made of unholy people. That he's going to make holy, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's going to take those people that are unholy that he chooses for himself, he's going to make them a holy people, And not only that, He's going to do it to the praise of His glory. He's going to do it in such a way that nobody can take credit for it. The angels are going to look upon those who are unholy and now who are being made holy, now that love God, and they're going to praise God for His wisdom that's displayed in the church. Not only in the fact 
that unholy people that are sinners and rebels now are seeking to walk with Jesus. We're seeking to, right? You're here this morning. You're not blinded anymore. You've seen the beauty of the gospel. You're seeking to follow Christ. That's a miracle. You've been brought to life. He's raised you from the dead. And when the angelic beings see that, they, they delight in the plan of God. But not only in that you've been raised from the dead and now you're being made holy, but that there is a unity in that church, in this church, between Jews and Gentiles, white and black, slave and free, male and female, where all that matters is not what your color of your skin is or what your ethnic background is, but whether or not you're in Christ Jesus. And we seek to treat each other based on who we are in Christ. So we call each other brothers and sisters, and we refer to ourselves as a church family. We need the church. And what is the key? God's building this place, this amazing place. What's the key? God had planned this throughout all eternity to have this, this church that would glorify His grace. What's the key to all of it? It's one thing to have a plan to build a building, right? But it's another thing to put the thing together. What's the key to putting it together? Verse 14, look at your Bible. What's it say? He, talking about Jesus, He Himself is our peace. He Himself, Christ Himself is the key. He Himself is our peace. So, as we think about the desire to have peace in our life in the midst of turmoil in our life and turbulence and, and nurture this remembrance that we have peace. As Paul says in verse 11 and verse 12, we need to remember, we need to remember what Christ has done. What is it that Christ has done? What There's two actions that Jesus must take in order for this building to stand. Not this building here that we're looking at, but this building here. Just turn around and look at one another who are believers. Not everybody in here is a true believer. But those of you here are born again true believers. You are the building. You are the church. You are God's holy dwelling place. What, what's the key to all that? It's Christ. And what is it that Christ must do in order for this building to be together and to stand? Two things. One of them is this. When you guys were out here a few years, several years ago before I came here and the church was growing numerically and you were looking for more parking space and so forth and maybe even building on the church may have required it too. You purchased some homes and so forth and, and you had those homes demolished, didn't you? Demolished so that you could put a parking lot there. You, you had something in mind that needed to be there so, so such and such was torn down so something else could be there. Something was in the way of what you envisioned being there, Right? When it comes to this church that God's going to build, something needed to be demolished. Something was in the way that needed to be taken down. And number one, the first thing that Christ must do in order for the church to stand is Christ must demolish the wall of the law. Christ must demolish the wall of the law. And I'm not trying to be cutesy when I say wall of the law because it rhymes. Do it on purpose. The law... Is referring to the, all the commandments and so forth that are that are given to Israel, written to Israel, given to Israel through Moses in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. That's the law. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with 
God's law. Understand that. The problem is with people who become prideful. Jews become prideful because they have the law. And Gentiles become jealous because they don't have the law. And there's a hostility between Jews and Gentiles, not because of the law, but because of how men feel about one another because of the law. The problem is with men. Sin is the issue. Christ is the solution. So you may have seen signs before. We have all seen signs that say, no dogs allowed or beware of the dogs. Or there was sort of that kind of sign that was in the Jerusalem temple. In, in, in Jerusalem, there was a temple, the Jewish temple where they could go worship. And in that temple area, there was a certain place that Gentiles could come, but no further. Even if you had converted into Judaism, you could not go any further than this particular place if you were a Gentile. And so there was a wall there, and you couldn't go past that wall. And it was said, it literally said, there's inscriptions of this that you can find in museums today that have been excavated from the Jerusalem temple. There was an inscription there that basically said, no dogs allowed. It said, no Gentiles allowed. Any Gentile that comes past this point's dead. You, you risk death if you come past this point. Gentiles cannot come here. There was, so there was literally a wall between Jews and Gentiles in the Jerusalem temple. What I want to tell you is, when the Bible says here, if you look at your Bible, in verse 14, For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is the dividing wall of hostility that Paul's talking about there? Well, he may have had in mind that physical wall in the Jerusalem temple. But when Paul wrote these words, guess what? That wall was still standing, that physical wall. The, the temple hadn't been destroyed when he wrote his letter to Ephesus. And he says Christ tore down that wall in his flesh. He broke it down. So what wall had been broken down that Paul's got in mind? Not the physical wall. The physical wall represented something much more real. It was the spiritual wall that had been erected because of sin between Jews and Gentiles and how they felt towards one another. So notice what your Bible says. How is it that Jesus tore down this prejudice between Jews and Gentiles? What did he do? What's your Bible say? You're looking at me. Why don't you look at your Bible, right? Look at verse 15. What's it say? By doing what? By abolishing something. Well, what does it say in verse 15? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So he abolished. He got rid of the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now hold on just a second. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish but fulfill. Heaven and earth will not pass away. Hey, none of, none of the law is going to pass away. So what, what, what was taking place here when Paul says Jesus abolished the law? What's that mean? What, what was being done away with here? What was being done away with this? Jews were given certain laws as God's chosen people. God had called them out to be His holy people. But it was always God's plan to have one people, a church. So in salvation history, He had given the nation of Israel certain laws. Don't eat pork. Uh, don't touch a dead body. If you do, you become unclean. All kinds of laws that regulated everything about life. When Jesus comes, you see, Israel violated those laws. Did Israel, was Israel perfect? 
They broke His law. That's what got them kicked out of the promised land. When Jesus comes, He's the embodiment of everything Israel is supposed to be. He's the true Israelite. He is the Holy One. They're called to be His holy people. They've broken His covenant. Jesus comes. He doesn't break it. He fulfills the law in and of Himself as God in the flesh. And what He abolishes is the things that separate Jews from Gentiles. So don't eat pork. Jesus abolishes that. Don't touch dead bodies. If you do, you become unclean. Jesus abolishes that law. What He doesn't abolish is is the moral parts of the law. The ceremonial aspects that separate Jews from Gentiles aren't needed anymore. Why? Because He's going to make... What's it say in your Bible in verse 15? What's, why is he going to abolish the law? Look at verse 15. This is how to read the Bible. Why? You ask yourself questions. Why is he going to abolish the law? That, that he might do what? What's verse 15 say? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So there was Jews and there was Gentiles and they didn't like each other. There was this hostility because of hostility in their hearts because of sin and, and he's going to do away with those distinctions. He's going to make them both one. He's going to create in himself the church, one new man in place of the two. So since there's going to be one people and not two, then you don't need to separate the two with ceremonial laws anymore. Jews don't need to be separated with ceremonial laws, right? And civil laws for that matter. But the moral law still stands, so anything that, sep- that, that used to separate Jews and Gentiles is gone because of Jesus. But He does not abolish the moral law. We see it in Ephesians itself. In Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 6, verse 1, Paul quotes part of the law that still stands, the moral parts of the, of the law, right? Honor your father and mother. <laughs> We're still supposed to honor your father and mother. Does the commandment that was in the law, honor your father and mother, is that a commandment that separates Jews from Gentiles? No, it doesn't. All people are supposed to do it. In fact, it's inscribed upon our hearts and by God's grace it was written in stone to make it absolutely clear that we ought to do it. In other words, by virtue of being created in the image of God and having common sense, you ought to know you ought to obey your father and mother and honor your father and mother. Everybody should know that. Christ does not abolish that. He fulfills it because he always honors his father perfectly. But he does not abolish that. He fulfills all the ceremonial and civil aspects of the law. Now, before I move on, we've said there's two things that Christ must do, two actions that Christ must take place for the church, God's holy dwelling place, this miraculous place, to stand. One of them, he must, Christ must demolish the wall of the law. He's not going to demolish all of the law. He's going to demolish the law, the wall of the law, the parts of the law that's created a wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. So you may be sitting here thinking at this point, okay, preacher, I think I understand what you're talking about, but I really don't understand why this is so important for, for me. Let's talk about this for just a few moments before I move on to that second point. If Christ has demolished the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, what that means for the church, this church as a local church, the church as a church universal, is there should be no dividing walls in the church. So certainly when we come into this church building, it doesn't say out there in those doors, certain people are not allowed here. It doesn't say that, right? 
So one of the clear applications of this passage of Scripture is that everyone is welcome in this church, no matter what skin color is or whatever. Everyone is welcome to visit this church, assuming that they don't come in blatantly displaying some type of sin that's causing a distraction to us. So if someone is a homosexual, we, we believe that's sin. You can't be a homosexual and go to heaven. So, but they'd be welcome to come to this church. So, if somebody came in here, they're a homosexual and they're being flamboyant about it and, and uh, kissing all over their partner or something like that, then they're not going to be welcome. That's distraction. So, that, so that's the distinction there. But when it comes to being a member of this church, then the homosexual who's welcome to visit with the church would not be allowed to be a member of the church because that person first must be born again. We're not talking about somebody struggling with same-sex desires here. We're talking about somebody that says, I'm a homosexual and I'm proud of it and that's just who I am. That's how God made me. That person is not born again. The Bible says that person will not enter the kingdom of God. So one of the clear things here is we as a church should not ever say certain people are just not welcome here, right? You all understand that, right? But, but let's press in a little further. It also means if there's no walls in the church because Jesus has taken down the wall between Jews and Gentiles, let's, let's, let's explore this a little bit. We should not be dividing over social issues, which is so much part of our culture. Now, I'm not trying to pick on the homosexual agenda and all that stuff this morning, just what I came to mind first, but gay marriage, for example. This is a social issue in America, Then America's divided over the issue of gay marriage, correct? It's divided. Should we be divided over gay marriage in our church family? Absolutely not. You say, what do you mean, preacher? What I mean is this. We should all absolutely say gay marriage is sinful and wrong. There should be no division over that. Should we, our nation's divided over issue of abortion. Should we be divided over views about abortion? Absolutely not. We should all say abortion is absolutely wrong at all times. Should we be divided over social justice issues? There's going to be different opinions we might hold. But no, we shouldn't be divided. We should always say that people should always be treated equally and fairly. We should, we should say that loud and clearly as a church. The Me Too movement's about to drive me nuts right now. But should we downplay the fact that women have been abused sexually in the workplace and harassed and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely not. We should not be divided over that. We should always say that that is clearly wrong and sinful and not to be tolerated. But one of the things we need to be careful about, I think, as a church where it hits maybe closer home is this. We should not erect walls as a church over issues of Christian liberty. And I think sometimes we're more prone to do that. And what I mean is this. So issues like social drinking, where the Bible is not clearly saying that that's wrong. Issues about how we dress when we come to church. Issues about how we educate our children, public school or home school. Are those issues we should divide over? We should not divide over these issues. We should be able to come to the same church and hold different convictions 
and be in the same church. We shouldn't erect walls between ourselves and other believers where the Bible's not spoken clearly about that. If you do, you're more like a Pharisee than you are like Jesus over that issue, and you need to be thinking about that. So be very careful and be very wise how you speak about your convictions about certain issues that you may hold dearly that may not be, you know, show me the verse and show me the Bible, show me the verse in the Bible where it says that. And be careful you interpret the Bible clearly. One last thing before I move on. We're doing the Apostles' Creed study. The youth are doing that on Sunday nights. We're doing that. We're going to be doing that on Sunday mornings. We need to be careful when we think about things that we believe and hold dearly to ourselves. We need to speak wisely and graciously about doctrinal issues. There are doctrinal issues that we, we put our foot down. You know, That's one reason we're looking at the Apostles' Creed study and saying, no, if you don't believe this, we don't even think you're a Christian. But we also need to be careful that we don't make those kind of distinctions about everything in the Bible. Things that are important, all truth is truth, but we should be able to agree to disagree even on certain doctrinal issues that are not not as much weightiness as others, correct? We we should be able to come to the same church and have varying issues about about the doctrine of election and predestination and not... And not say, oh, those people don't believe this. That's what they'll, and get mad at each other and that sort of thing. We, we should be able to come to the same church and agree to disagree even over issues like spiritual gifts. Now, some of those, those beliefs can sometimes dictate what we do as a church. So that's, that's what, what we need to be aware of. But when you make those things like those are dividing issues, I, I, I think you've stepped over a boundary. Now, when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ, when it comes to justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that's something to divide over. You don't believe that you're justified by faith alone. I believe you pre- preach a false gospel. Now that's some that's those fighting words. So let us be careful not to erect walls that were never intended to be erected. And that takes a lot of grace and prayer. Secondly and lastly, Christ must kill the hostility of the cross. So Christ must demolish the wall of the law. And secondly, Christ must kill the hostility at the law, at the cross. Notice it said back in, I believe it's verse 15, he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It may have been verse 14. So he's broken down something in his flesh, in his body. How did he do that? What's verse 16 say? Verse 16, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. He must kill, it says thereby, what's it say? Thereby doing what? Killing the hostility. He puts the hostility to death in more ways than one, as you'll see. Why the cross? Why does it require, so Jesus must demolish the wall of the law and he must kill the hostility at the cross. Why must Christ die? Why is it that God is planned, that he's going to build the church and he's going to construct the church by The death of His Son. It's construction through destruction. Jesus, as I mentioned, is the Holy One. He embodies everything that the law requires of God's people. He does it perfectly. And when He goes to the cross, He's treated as if He doesn't do it perfectly. But those who trust in Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile, right? if they trust fully in what Christ does, they're treated as if they are the embodiment 
of everything Israel's supposed to be. They're treated as if they are the true Israel. All believers who trust in what Jesus does on the cross, they are one. God's, God's created one humanity out of the two. Those people are the true Israel of God. They are the true people of God. They are the church. The hostility that existed between them because of the law, because of their sin, not because of the law, but really because of their sin, Jesus killed it at the cross because He was killed. And notice, it's not just hostility between them, it's hostility between us and God. There can be no, listen, there can be no peace on the earth until the real problem is taken care of. And this is why I mentioned last Sunday and the beginning of the message this morning. Sin is the issue and Christ is the solution. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 16, the first part of it. What's it say about Jews and Gentiles there? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Reconcile us to who? To God. The the real issue here is, is we need to be reconciled to God. We're at hostility against God. Our prejudice against one another are looking down on one another, Jews calling Gentiles dogs and Gentiles looking at Gentiles as, as filth. All of that is because of sin and it's a sin against God. And Jesus is going to kill that at the cross. That He might reconcile us both to one God, one bo- to God in one body. This is what Christ has done. Jews and Gentiles are separated from God. The Jews should look and understand just because we're Jews don't make us right with God. I've got to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ and so should the Gentile look at himself and say, I'm separated from God, not because I'm not a Jew, but because I'm a sinner and I need Christ. We sang about it this morning. Sent of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed Him to that tree. Now my debt is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where Your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah! Praise and honor unto myself, never unto thee. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so our praise is to God because we've been reconciled with God mm, through the cross. Jesus paid it all. He didn't do what He did for us to have to pay the rest of it with our life. Don't you understand? If you're trusting in what Jesus did, you're justified. You're declared right with God based on what He did. Because what He did on the cross kills the hostility. It took care of it. That reconciles you with God what He did. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something to be very thankful for because I'm not coming here wanting these little seasons in my life where it's not so rough and all the time and and all this kind of stuff but I come in and I'm reminded this morning the worst thing that could possibly happen to me will not happen 
because Jesus took it for me. Christ must kill the hostility at the cross. And praise God, He did. What's the application for that? How about, wahoo! How about that? How about praise God? How about open up our mouths and sing? How about open up our mouths and pray and preach this gospel of reconciliation, the issues of sin, Christ as a solution? The reason... There's not peace in some of the things that we struggle with as Christians in relation maybe to pornography. Or the reason some of you are struggling with marital issues. The reason we struggle with marital issues or issues raising our children is because of sin. We are sinners. We're not there yet. The issue is still sin. Even though we've been reconciled with God. So you want things to go better in these relationships. It's going to require humility. Examining yourself to see where your fault is at. Confessing that sin to God. Praying about this. And yes, there's times for professional Christian counseling and and other means of grace that God gives us to help people who've been through horrible circumstances and there's deep-seated issues. I'm not trying to be oversimplistic here. But I don't want to over emphasize the power of the cross so that when we talk to people let's get to the gospel let's get to what's really there the issue here is first of all before you you run down your husband anymore in front of me let me ask you a question have you prayed about this and most of the time it's you don't know i pray about this all the time Have you examined yourself? You know, let's talk to each other in these ways, without condemning, without a condemning tone and all that. How about your co-workers that you work with? And you're just frustrated and you're ready to punch them in the nose tomorrow morning if they say that thing to you again, right? What do you do? It takes two to reconcile, doesn't it? What's the issue with your co-worker? It may be you. It may be that you need to, you've got some faults of your own that you're not dealing with. And you need to definitely take care of that moat in your own eye first. But it could be that you have. You say, preacher, I have. I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for this. They're persecuting me or they're, they're just giving me a hard time or they're, they're, they're continuing to be lazy and I'm taking up the slack. So what I do, the issue is sin and Christ is the solution. And what you first must do is pray for your enemies. You pray for them. You pray for them by name to be saved, to be reconciled to God. That's the implications of this passage of Scripture. The issue is sin. Christ is the solution. Pray for them. And if by God's grace you have the opportunity, preach to them. Be an ambassador of Christ. Share the good news with them. This issue with Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice, and all this stuff. What? Christ Sin is a problem. Christ is a solution. What must we do other than to get mad and want to throw our boot at the television when the news is on? Pray. We need to pray for senators, president, to be saved. Accusers to be saved. I don't know who's saved and who's not. I can't see into people's hearts. I can certainly see actions and attitudes. We need to pray for people to be saved. Right? To have wisdom if they profess Christ, to, to act wisely, to speak wisely.
So, Christ kills the hostility at the cross, and because of that, we are reconciled with God. Amen? But not only that, folks, as if that's not enough. We not only reconciled with God at the cross, we have a relationship with God through the cross. Notice what verse 18 says. Look at your Bible. Verse 18 says, For through Him we both have access into one Spirit to the Father. Christ, it says in verse 17, He went and preached peace to those who were far off, and He preached peace to those who were near. That means He went and preached to those who were far off, the Gentiles. And those who thought they were right there near, He preached to the Jews. That means Jews and Gentiles need to have the gospel preached to them. That's what it means. And He's preaching that through the church and through the apostles and through us. For, here's the purpose, verse 18, through Him, through Jesus, we both have access into one Spirit, in one Spirit, to the Father. You ever wanted to have access to somebody important or popular before? Some of us experienced this at a recent conference we went to, but I won't pick on anybody. Oh, look at them. I wish they would talk to me or I could get their autograph or I could be their buddy. Have this full access. It's really what we like to have. And it says here in Scripture that we have access, full access to God. Not even the Jew, with all the things they had in the law, had access, full access to God. Remember, high priest can go in the Holy of Holies once a year. Jesus kills the hostility. He makes His holy dwelling place not a temple of, built by hands anymore, but you're God's holy dwelling place. Guess who has full access to God? Everyone who's in Christ Jesus. Full access. Whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile. So you're not only reconciled to God, God just doesn't say, hey, you're saved, you're mine, now let me sit you on a shelf and display my glory through you. He says, no, I want you to have joy too. I'm reconciling you and I want you to have a relationship with me. I'm not just saving you, but I don't want to look at you anymore. But I'm going to save you and I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see Christ and I want you to, I want you to have full access in one spirit to me. That's relationship. That's what God has done. He has not only saved us, He's adopted us into His family. That's what He says back in chapter 1, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons. That's what He's done. This church, His holy dwelling place, is His family. We are His sons and daughters. You say, what difference does that make? And again, it means this. The thing that should trouble us the most as we want peace this morning, the things that should trouble us the most have been a death, dealt a death blow at the cross. <laughs> Amen? And the things that still trouble us, like Issues with being a parent and marital issues, relationships, being lonely, single, death of a loved one, all these things that will trouble us forever on this old earth right now. They were dealt a death blow at the cross too. And one day Jesus Christ will split open the heavens and every eye shall see. And He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death and no more cursing and no more dying. For the old is gone and the new has come. Praise be to God. 
So nothing that troubles me now will trouble me forever. So what does all this mean? It means that when you're praying alone on Monday morning, and you're having the Monday morning blues... But you went to church Sunday where the gospel was preached and the gospel was sung and it was taught in Sunday school. And hopefully some of that's lingering with you. you go to, you're praying alone on Monday morning. Maybe you're having Monday morning blues and, and you go to the Lord and maybe you're feeling guilty because of what you just said to your spouse or because you didn't read your Bible as much as you should or whatever it might be. But you come to the Lord and you remember, you remember, you remember, verse 11, verse 12, remember, remember the gospel. God got all this guilt. This is how I feel right now. But God, Jesus took all of that on the cross. I am sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And I know you have forgiven me. Thank you that Jesus took all of it. He, he became my curse for me. I am reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And I can come boldly to your throne of grace right now. You are my Father. And maybe just pause for a moment and think about how God the Father is looking at you at that moment. That's how you face the money morning blues is with the gospel when you're alone. And it also has implications for worshiping together on Sundays, folks. It means we need it, first of all. We need it. Out there, there's a water fountain out there and my kids are all the time saying, Dad, I want something to drink, something to drink. They want me to go buy them something. I said, there's a water fountain right out there. Go get you a drink. The water fountain. Water comes out of that, son. It's a fountain. It's a source of water. Go get a drink. I'm reminded of the hymn that says, Come thou fount, fountain, talking about God. Come thou fountain, of every blessing. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. What's the rest of that hymn say if you remember it? Tune my heart to sing thy grace. We're just like a, an instrument that got knocked over here a while ago, and it might be out of tune. I don't know. But we need to be tuned up. Spiritually, we need to come to church on Sunday and say, and our prayer corporately needs to be, Oh God, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart. Tune me up. I'm out of tune. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy. I'm reminding myself of this now, now that I'm in church with your people. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. So that's what we do on Sunday. That's what we're coming. We're, we're seeking to remember that. We're not coming to just, to say, oh, hey, let's all sing about how good we, we are and how good we feel about ourselves and, and we're not as bad as we thought we were. I'm a friend of God. You're a friend of God. Hey, everybody. No, we're coming to sing about Christ and what He's done. And we're singing, coming to remember what God has done for us in the preaching of His Word. So we don't forsake that. We're coming to remember, as we'll sing here in just a moment, my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I do for a living. Because maybe you're not really feeling good about yourself right now in relation to what you do for a living. You'd rather be doing something else and make you feel better about yourself. All that matters is whether or not you're in Christ Jesus though, right? So, 
My worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I do for a living. My worth is not in whether or not I, I was a really good dad this week. My worth is not in how well I played in the band Friday night or even in the praise band this morning. My worth is not in how well I preached this morning. My worth is not in how I restrained my temper with my kids or whether I got, or not I got my homework done. Even though all those things are important, my worth is at the cross. It's at the cross where Jesus paid it in full and ransomed me to himself. Amen? That's why we come to church. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you this morning and thank you for the beautiful, glorious gospel. Oh, Father, I pray that our hearts would be greatly affected, God, by the truth of, the, of this that you've done for us and that we wouldn't forget it, Lord, that we'd preach it to ourselves during the week and that if we see one another and we're having a hard time, the temperature of our life's not too great, Lord, that we could speak the gospel and even to people in the world that, that we meet this week and their life's in turmoil and the worst thing that can happen to them is going to happen unless they repent and trust in Jesus. Father, we pray that we'll be ready to be ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. Speak the truth to them. Now, Father, I pray for those in the room this morning who do have troubling things upon their hearts, devastating news perhaps they received this week. God, I pray that they would know that you care about them. and you, they sh- We should know that because of what you have done at the cross. And God, that they would trust, they'd have wisdom, guidance, counsel. They would not try to take matters into their own hands, but they would wait upon the Lord. Lord, we pray for those among us who may not be saved, who have not repented and trusted their sins. We pray that they would see they need to follow Jesus Christ and put their hope and trust only in Him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand together and sing right now. And as we sing, I encourage you to sing. And sing as if you're singing to one another because you should be, and sing to God. If you're here this morning, you'd like to come and talk about something, pray about something as we're singing, I'd encourage you to do so. We'll pray, we'll talk, we'll set up a time afterwards to do the same. But you come if God's speaking, and let's sing together. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. 
Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.